digging into how we teach and learn seven books that have challenged and shaped my thinking. So in my quest to understand the nuts and bolts process of how we learn complex and valuable skills, I've read quite a few books on learning, teaching, and skill acquisition. This batch of books that I read most recently challenged my thinking and actually changed my mind on quite a few things. I read these books to further investigate learning by doing and the problem of transfer. Transfer of learning is when you learn one thing and apply it to something else, and it's been a notorious problem in education, something that piqued my interest when I was first doing the research for ultra learning. Below are seven books that influenced me the most. Number one, The Power of Explicit Teaching and Direct Instruction by Greg Ashman. Ashman is a fierce critic of giving students complex, open-ended problems as a tool for learning. Instead, he argues, the material needs to be broken down into digestible chunks. Everything we want students to learn needs to be spelled out explicitly, often much more explicitly than many teachers realize. Ashman draws on two bodies of evidence to support his views. The first is the original research on direct instruction. These studies were among the most extensive educational experiments in history, and they showed that direct instruction beat many alternatives that gave less guidance. The second body of evidence Ashman draws on is from cognitive load theory. Cognitive load theory argues that working memory is limited, but patterns that are stored in long-term memory are not. Therefore, the goal of learning is to move patterns from working memory into long-term memory. And if you give people too much information at once, the students will fail to do this. I quite enjoyed this book, even as it forced me to make serious revisions to some of my previous beliefs. Number two, Theory of Instruction by Siegfried Engelmann and Douglas Carnine. After Ashman's introduction, I decided to go to the source. Siegfried Engelmann and colleagues developed direct instruction in the 1960s with the specific aim of teaching disadvantaged students. Theory of Instruction is Engelmann's magnum opus, fully articulating how the theory could potentially teach any skill. How does it work? Well, the basic idea of direct instruction is to reduce the material down to a minimal set of concepts, procedures, and actions, and then to build those up into increasingly complex performances. Describing the entire system is impossible in the few paragraphs that I can speak out here, but the central ideas of the system are, first, the aim of teaching should be flawless communication. So instead of assuming failure lies with the student, assume the problem is one of communication. Most teaching is incomplete and thus leads to gaps in understanding by students. While bright and knowledgeable students can fill those gaps, those who can't are left behind. Students learn through examples. Both examples of a quality and similar non-examples are essential because otherwise you can't know the full range of application of a new idea. Three, students can learn skills by breaking them down into parts. Four, short bursts of instruction need to be accompanied by immediate practice and feedback. The advantage of direct instruction is that, given a well-tested curriculum, it can be a superior method for learning complex skills like reading or arithmetic. The disadvantage is that designing, executing, and testing such a curriculum isn't easy. Many teachers' hostility to direct instruction may be the same as craft autoworkers' hostility to early assembly line plants. Once a craft executed only by skilled mechanics, modern cars are made using assembly line production. By seeming to reduce the role of the teacher to following a lesson plan in lockstep, the craft elements that draw people to the profession might be lost. Number three, Constructivist Education, Success or Failure, edited by Sigmund Tobias and Thomas Duffy. 
constructivists argue that students must create knowledge for it to be meaningful. Explicit instruction advocates argue that discovery learning, championed by constructivists, is inefficient and wasteful. If something is important for students to know, why not just teach it to them? This book was compiled in response to a 2006 paper by Sweller, Kirchner, and Clark. Their article argued that constructivist approaches to education fail because they do not fit into what we know about how human memory works. Prominent researchers from both sides of the debate contributed essays sharing their perspectives, agreement, and disagreement between the schools of thought. The major conclusion I gathered from this book is that both sides agree that guidance is helpful for learning. However, explicit instruction advocates prefer giving students everything needed to solve a problem up front. Constructivists suggest that letting students come up with solutions themselves leads to deeper learning. And this latter belief sounds intuitively appealing, but there's good evidence against it. In the end, I felt like the advocates of explicit instruction had the upper hand in terms of evidence. While good constructivist education might be achievable by excellent teachers with bright students, direct instruction seems a more reasonable approach for wide-scale public education. Number four. Learning and Memory by John Anderson. Anderson's textbook, Learning and Memory, was a fascinating discussion of experimental evidence behind learning and its history within psychology. Anderson began in the behaviorist learning tradition and shifted into cognitive research on memory. Today, he's most famous for his ambitious ACT-R theory, which attempts to provide a model for all human cognition. One tidbit I appreciated was his explanation of the difference between conditioning and learning curves. In a conditioning experiment, an animal is given a reward to shape behavior. But given the non-human participants, no instructions are provided. In a learning experiment, in contrast, a human being is usually given explicit instructions about what to do, and their performance is monitored. Conditioning curves are S-shaped, showing that they are slow to improve in the beginning, but then later shoot up. Learning curves, in contrast, shoot up immediately. The difference seems to be that the animal has to figure out which aspects of its behavior are being rewarded or which aspects of the environment actually matter and try to pay attention to those. In contrast, humans can simply be told where to pay attention, so learning begins almost immediately. This subtle effect shows some of the influence of instruction on learning. Number 5. 10 Steps to Complex Learning by Jerome Van Marenboer and Paul Kirchner. One major criticism of direct instruction is that stripping knowledge away from its useful context can make it difficult to understand the big picture. This is part of the constructivist critique of traditional schooling. While all the solutions proposed have their flaws, the issues of meaningless learning are valid ones. 10 Steps to Complex Learning is an attempt at a different solution to the same problem. How do you teach complex skills without overwhelming students? The basic strategy outlined is to organize the curriculum based on real-world task categories. Tasks proceed from easiest to hardest. Within each category, instructors provide structured guidance that lessens over time until the student can perform the full range of tasks without problems. The authors recommend students learn essential background knowledge ahead of time and that teachers give instructions alongside practice. The whole process is designed to minimize cognitive load during learning. Drills on procedural components are only used for a minority of fixed routines. In addition, students are given help with developing self-directed learning skills. The hope is that when students leave their program, they are equipped with tools to continue their training independently.
Number six, Learning and Instruction by Richard Meyer. I found this book's discussion of the best way to teach basic skills such as reading, comprehension, and math fascinating. Meyer argues that children who struggle with aspects of a complex skill can improve with instruction and practice targeted on the components of the skill where they are weak. Examples include helping students recognize the sound components inside spoken words through rhyming exercises, so-called phonemic awareness, decoding the sounds of written words through phonics training, and helping students construct diagrams to assist with word problems in math. Skills are complicated, and a failure to learn is usually a breakdown of one of the essential components needed for performance. 7. The Mind is Flat by Nick Chater Chater presents a radical view of the mind. The mind is what you're currently experiencing. There are no hidden, unconscious depths, no beliefs and motives. Instead, he argues, we infer these things the same way we would the beliefs and motives of fictional characters, from the context cues surrounding them. In this model, our minds are constantly engaged in a grand illusion that gives us the impression that there is more going on than there really is. We imagine an entire visual scene presented before us, but in reality we only have a tiny cone of detailed perception. The illusion of broader perception is sustained because we can flick our eyes to look at something as soon as we want to. This grand illusion goes beyond visual perception. Chater argues that our internal states, moods, and beliefs are assembled just as we think about them. Mentality, then, is a constant process of inference, not just about the external world, but about the details of our own lives. On my reading list. Some of the books I have lined up next to read include How Learning Happens by Paul Kirchner and Carl Henrik, Rules of the Mind by John Anderson, Apprentice to Genius by Robert Knegel, Education and Mind in the Knowledge Age by Carl Berthier, and Genius in the Mind, edited by Andrew Steptoe. As I read more, I'll share my more interesting findings with you. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.